This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. So I want to start out in the book of Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. Jesus says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This is commonly what we refer to as the Great Commission. The Great Commission is given to us three different times in the Gospels, and this is one of them. Jesus is telling us to go to all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. Now, we know the Gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the Gospel that we're supposed to be teaching. If we look over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 5, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he tells him, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof thy ministry, thy ministry. So Paul is writing, and when he's writing to, to the New Testament here, he's also writing to you and I today as Christians. So Paul is writing to us here, and he's telling us to do the work of an evangelist. So let's see what that word evangelist means. If you look in the Strong's Concordance, the word evangelist just means a preacher of the gospel, and it, it goes right in line with what Mark said in the book of Mark to, to preach the gospel to all the world. In Thayer's, it tells us that it's the name given for New Testament heralds of salvation through Christ who are not apostles. That's you and I. You and I are, are the New Testament heralds of salvation. We're taught to go out and spread the gospel and spread salvation to all the world through Jesus Christ, and we're not apostles. So when Paul is writing here, he's telling us to do the work of evangelists. We all know that we're supposed to be spreading the gospel. We all know that we're supposed to go out and we're supposed to teach the lost and we're supposed to bring those lost to Christ. What I want to look at a little bit this afternoon is I want to look at some examples in the Bible of how people did this and what we can learn from them. So my intent for this lesson is a very practical study. It's a study that we can look at these examples and we can definitely apply them to our lives and we can go out this afternoon and tomorrow and the rest of your life and you can look at these examples and follow their step-by-step of how they brought lost souls to Christ. And that's what you and I will be able to do as well. So the first way that we have people brought lost souls to Christ is they had direct conversations with people, one-on-one conversations. And one example that we have with that is our Savior. It's Jesus. And Jesus with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Some of these are going to be a little bit lengthy reading, so it's going to be quite a few slides going through there. But they're very necessary. So we'll go through all of them. John chapter 4 beginning in verse 5, it says, Then cometh he, talking about Jesus, to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, set thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink, for his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou the living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. 
But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom, he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saidest thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and as now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that the Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. So I know that was a very lengthy reading, but it gives us the dialogue that Jesus taught and Jesus talked with this woman at Samaria. You see the very easy going back and forth. The woman said this, Jesus said this. The woman said this, Jesus said this. It continues to go back and forth. So when we kind of go in and break that down, one point I want us to remember is Jesus did not discriminate who he talked to. This woman was a Samaritan woman. And what I mean by that is the Samaritans and the Jews, they did not get along traditionally. They were not buddies. A Samaritan was basically a half-bred Israelite. That means the Israelites got with the Gentiles way back when, and they started having children, so they were, they were partly Israelites, but they weren't full Israelites. So the Jews, who were full Israelites, the Jews would look at the Samaritans like they were cast out, that they were half-breed, so to speak, and they were just basically good for nothing. So the Jews would not talk to the Samaritans. They wouldn't consider them for anything. But Jesus didn't discriminate against a Samaritan woman. And then when we go and we look at this conversation, they had nothing in common. Jesus was an Israelite. She was a Samaritan. They had absolutely no dealings with each other, nothing in common. But Jesus used one thing that they had in common to kick off the conversation. And that one thing was that they were both at the well and they were both there to get a drink. And that's it. That's all Jesus had to start this conversation. So sometimes when we're going out to the world today, we may think we can't approach somebody that we work with or that we go to school with or that we see every day in our life because we have nothing in common. Had Jesus ever seen this woman before? We don't really have clear answers, but my guess is probably not. I don't think that he had seen this Samaritan woman before because she didn't really know him as well. All she knew was that he was a Jew. So they didn't really have anything in common but this water at the well, and Jesus was able to use that to kick off a conversation. When you, when you continue that on, he used the water, and then he led that into, it led to worshiping God, that they were going to worship in spirit and in truth. So he led that into an obedience conversation. If you'll continue on reading through this, then you see that the Samaritan woman went back into the city, and she told the whole city who Jesus was that this guy is a prophet and he knows everything about me and he's, he's telling me that he's the Messiah. Jesus said that he is the Messiah. And she goes back and she shares it with the whole city. So another key point to realize through this story is first off, he didn't discriminate who he talked to. The second thing is sometimes who we can perceive as the least likely candidates can be the biggest fruit bearers that we can possibly find. 
The Samaritan woman would have been considered a least likely candidate for someone to follow after the Jews' Messiah, which is Jesus Christ. But then she went back to the whole city, and then the whole city wanted to hear about this man named Jesus. Now we have another example of a direct conversation we're going to look at, and that's with Philip and the eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, reading verse 26 through 39 says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, and to the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to his chariot, and Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So here we have another conversion example of Philip, an apostle, bringing a lost person to Christ. Now we're going to break this one down the same way. So the one thing that we have is, we'll go back just a little bit, and it says that he was reading out of the book of Isaiah, which is the book of Isaiah. And all he asked is that one question there in verse 30. Philip asked him, and he said, Understandest what thou readest. Just one question to kick off this conversation. The eunuch was out there studying. He was trying to learn for himself. And you and I both know today there are people out there studying the Word of God, trying to figure it out themselves, and they're looking for answers. They are out there. When you come across these people, this can be a very simple question. You ask them just like Philip did. Are you understanding what you're reading? Or do you need help? And he said, Philip, or the eunuch answered, How can I except some man guide me? He just opened the door for Philip to walk in and show him the scriptures more diligently. So then we continue on, and he goes through the book of Isaiah. Another key point that I want to look at is when you go on, it says in verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. So what Philip did was he looked at what the eunuch was studying out of the book of Isaiah at the same point and started teaching unto him Jesus. He used the eunuch's baseline knowledge of the Bible, no matter how great or small that knowledge is, he used his baseline knowledge, and then he expounded upon him the word more perfectly or completely and preached unto him Jesus. The third point that I want to look at is we went down there in verse... Uh, 35 it says it preached unto him Jesus and then in verse 36 it says and they went on their way to came to water and the eunuch said see here is water what does hinder me to be baptized what's interesting to point out is he was reading out of the book of Isaiah 
And out of Isaiah, he was saying it was a lamb uh, dumb to the slaughter. He didn't open his mouth, and so he preached unto him Jesus. He's talking to him about Jesus. And apparently, when you preach about Jesus, at some point, baptism has to come up. Or they wouldn't have talked about baptism when they saw water. And we know that when you're baptized is when you obey the gospel. So that's what Philip was teaching him. He was teaching him the gospel of Christ. When he was a sheep that's gone to the slaughter and didn't open his mouth, that's when he, was, he died on the cross. And then he preached about to him the, the burial and resurrection and how we obey that through baptism, which then the eunuch obeyed. So the example that we have through here is that, that Philip used the eunuch and he taught him the scriptures of where he was at, used his baseline knowledge, and he, he expounded upon that more perfectly. He started the conversation with a simple question. Are you understanding what you're reading? And then he taught to him Jesus, which includes the gospel. So here are two examples that we have of direct conversations, one-on-one -on -one conversations with people that led them to Christ. Now, in my job, I'm in sales. And in sales, we have communications all the time with people. So what we talk about is we talk about the anatomy of a conversation, how you break down a conversation, and how you make that conversation as effective as possible. So here is what we teach in sales of an anatomy of a conversation. The first thing is you want to check your mindset. Before you ever have a conversation with anybody, you want to check your mindset. With us specifically as Christian, our mindset is that we have a free gift through Jesus Christ that we get to share through the world. We're not trying to sell them or convince anybody to do anything that they don't want to. All we're trying to do is share a gift that we can give to them. The second thing is we want to define the win before we go into the conversation. What is the conversation going to be? How do we know that the conversation was a win or not? It could be as simple as initiating the conversation. It could be leading them into a Bible study. It could be asking certain questions that maybe you're a little bit hesitant to ask. All of these different things could be winning the conversation. One thing that is not a win of the conversation is the outcome of the conversation. And the reason for that is it's not your choice. Your choice is not the outcome of the conversation. Your choice is to initiate the conversation, then they get to decide what to do with it. The third thing to remember while you're having a conversation with someone is always focus on unity and never division. You want to focus on, just like Philip and the eunuch said, they really didn't have a whole lot of points of unity except for one thing. He was studying out of the book of Isaiah. So Philip came in and studied out of the book of Isaiah and focused on that as a unified piece. Not that he was an Ethiopian or not that he was a eunuch or points of division, but that they were studying out of the book of Isaiah together. And we need to be doing the same. Make sure we're always focusing on unity and grow that unity, not points of division. And finally, always remember that it is their decision. It's never your decision to make of the outcome of the conversation. So this is what we have is the anatomy of a conversation. When you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, remember these steps. Check your mindset. Define the win. Focus on unity. Remember it's their decision. Now the second thing I want to look at, the other way that we can bring lost souls to Christ or the examples that we have in the New Testament is through miracles. The first one is in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, reading 13 through 21, it says, When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship, into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart, give ye them to eat. 
And they say unto them, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake, and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up their fragments that remained, twelve basketfuls, and they that had eaten were about five thousand men beside women and children. We've all heard this story before about Jesus feeding the five thousand. There's a couple things that I want to point out. Jesus had just heard about the death of his cousin John the Baptist at this time. I've heard this story many times, and I never really realized the setting of Jesus' mindset until just recently, but he had just heard that John the Baptist had died. And John the Baptist was beheaded, if you remember. This is a very tragic death. It's not He didn't grow old and die peacefully. It was a very tragic death, and Jesus was very distraught from this. It says there in the first that when Jesus heard of it, he heard of John the Baptist's death. He departed thence by ship into a desert place. He was going off to get alone, just like you and I would do today. Sometimes we have a death in our life, and we go off, and we just want to be by ourselves. We just need a little bit of time to go off and mourn by ourselves. That's what Jesus was doing. But the people followed him. You know, there's a lot of times that we would look at it, people following us when we just want to be alone, and sometimes we get mad at those people, don't we? Sometimes we just want people to leave us alone. But look at Jesus' response. In verse 14, it says, When Jesus went forth and saw the great multitude, he was moved with compassion toward them. He had love for them. And then, of course, it continued on that he fed the 5,000. He wouldn't make them go home and, and go by themselves. He fed the 5,000. Now, that's 5,000 men, not including women and children. It was a great multitude of people to be fed. Obviously, this was a great miracle. So he was moved with compassion to, toward them when he did this. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Well, Jesus can do miracles, and we can't, and that's true. But what was the purpose about these miracles? The purpose is right there in 14. He was moved with compassion toward them. That's why he had them fed. It's not the fact that he did the miracle that we're studying about, but it's a fact that he did a charitable gift or a charitable contribution to all these people. That's what we're studying about. That's why they came to follow him. And we've got another example of that in Acts chapter 5, and this is with the apostles. In Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the, to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that, the le- that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto, to Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. So here we have the apostles, that they were healing people. They were going around and healing their sick, and they were taking care of them. They were doing charitable gifts for these people. These charitable gifts are what led people to the apostles. It's the miracles that they were able to do, which led them to the apostles. And then it says there in verse 14 that believers were the more added to the Lord, meaning they were saved. They were added to the Lord's church. So the apostles were able to bring lost souls to Christ by having charitable contributions to these people. And you and I can do the same thing today. We can't perform miracles, but we can show the love of Christ with our actions. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 through 10, it says, For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. 
But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. And as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. This tells us here that we're supposed to be doing good to all men. Obviously, we want to do good to the household of faith. That's to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we want to do good unto all men. That's your community. That's the people that you work with. That's the people you go to school with. That's everybody else who's not in the church. We want to do good to those who are in the church, and we want to do good who are not in the church. When we look at that, we have a, a really good example, and I won't mention any names here, but it's a man that's in the church now, and his conversion example really just blows me away. He was out working one day, and he was going across, he was driving a truck, and his truck broke down where he needed some help. It was stuck, and he, so another guy who was a Christian who was in the church, he came and took his tractor down there, and he pulled his truck out. Well, this certain individual who, who received the help, he's the kind of guy that he doesn't receive help without paying you back. He will not receive any, any type of contribution without giving you something in return. So, of course, he was asking the man how much he could pay him for pulling him out with his tractor. How much do you want? Whatever it costs, just tell me, I'll pay it. And the guy wouldn't take a payment. The, the Christian would not take a payment. And instead, he said, we'll, we'll talk about it later. We'll square up some other time. Well, of course, this was driving the first guy nuts because he felt like he was getting pity upon, and he's not that kind of guy. He's not getting pity upon. So finally, he kept calling and calling and calling this guy to see how much he could pay him. And that guy said, here's one thing that you can do. I'm not going to take any money, but I want to have five Bible studies with you. And in those five Bible studies, if you'll do that, then consider it paid in full. So that's what he did. Had five Bible studies with him, and that five Bible studies led that, that guy that got help to be saved. It led him to Christ. Now that guy that was led to Christ, because his truck was stuck and, and the tractor pulled him out, that led to a Bible study, led him to be saved. Now it led to his house to be saved. His wife and his kids and so many people of the community now look at him as a well-respected Christian. And it all started with one man pulling his truck out with a tractor. The reason I bring that up is that sometimes when we look at this, fulfilling a physical need can open a spiritual door to, to the lost souls. So when we're helping these people, look for ways that you can help people all the time. In Galatians, it tells us, as we have opportunity, do good unto all men. If you'll really open your eyes, opportunity is all around you all the time to do good unto all men. Fulfilling that opportunity and helping these people out can lead those lost souls to Christ. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 says, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer also the other. And on him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy cloak also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those which love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do the same. And if you lend to them whom ye have hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But lo love ye your enemies and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. 
Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father is also merciful. Jesus is talking to us here, and He's telling us to show love towards others and expect nothing in return. When we're doing good unto to other men, whether they're in the church or whether they're out in the world, doesn't matter. When we're doing good unto all men, we do it with the mindset that we don't expect anything in return. We're simply showing the love of Christ. You know, it's commonly said that people don't care how much you know until you know how, they know how much you care. And that's very true when we're spreading the gospel. You have to show people that not only you care about them and their souls, but so does their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He cares about their souls as well. It's unfortunate that people can't see the love of Christ that they could see from you. So that's where we're used as tools as Christians that we can show the love of Christ through our actions towards these people. Then they will care how much we know after they see how much we care for them. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 34, it says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee? Or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee, a stranger, and took thee in? Or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee, sick, or in prison, and came to thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Jesus teaches us here that when we're doing good to all men, it's exactly like we're doing it to Jesus Christ himself. And this is what we're called to do as Christians. Go out to the world, do good to all men, help fulfill some of those physical needs so it'll open that spiritual door and we can bring the lost souls to Christ. So, so far we've talked about having direct conversations with individuals. And then we've also talked about having charitable gifts or contributions to the world that can open the door. The third one I want to look at is simply how you live your life. It's your daily conduct, your, your uh, reputation. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. Paul says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily then, when I preach the gospel, I will make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made my, myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, being not without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Paul is writing to us here, and basically what he's teaching us to do is be relatable. Be relatable to people. When you look at that, in verse 20, it says, Unto the Jews I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. He became relatable to the Jews, so that he could save some. The ones that were under the law, he became under the law, so that he could save some that are under the law. One thing I do want you to all to realize is he became relatable to all. However, he never questioned his values. He never changed his values or beliefs, but he looked for points of unity. So when he was talking to the Jews, you can look at all the examples of when Paul saved a bunch of Jews. 
that he used the points that they knew from being a Jew. He looked for that point of unity. He didn't change his belief. He didn't change anything that he did. He just used that point of unity. The same thing when he became those that are without the law. He didn't change his views. He didn't change his opinion. He just used the, the points of unity that he had and became relatable to them so that he could bring others to, to Christ. There, right there in the last verse, it says, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Paul is telling us here that he became relatable to everybody that he came into contact with and he realized that only some were going to obey. And this is going to be the same for us. We need to be relatable to all people. We need to show us in a way, show our life in a way that, pe that we can approach people and people can approach us without judgment, without any harsh remarks or any rebukes, that they can come to us, we will help them, we'll bring them to Christ, and realizing that not everyone's going to obey. And remember that that's not your decision to make, whether they obey or not. You know, sometimes what we talk about, too, in, from the sales world, is how can we be a ma magnet of success? And when you think about that from being a Christian, how can you position your life so that you can be a convert magnet? So the people with a ready, willing, and able heart, they have a true heart, they want to serve God, they're just looking for the right answers, what would make that person approach you and ask you about Jesus? It's your reputation. It's how you live your life in the world. It's how you prove that you're different from other people because we follow after the words of Christ. If you're going to do the same thing as everybody else as far as living into a world of sin, why would they approach you for answers? You're the same as everybody else. You have to show them that you're different. You're peculiar people. We have another example of this, of how Paul did this in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 and verse 24, it says, Who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. This is when Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. It says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword, and he would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him with the, with the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them out of his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. So this, the example that we have through here is Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. A lot of us would consider that pretty hard times, pretty trials and tribulations in our life. If you were thrown into prison, that's rough stuff. And Paul and Silas were thrown into prison because they were Christians at this time. And it says that at midnight they were singing praises unto God, they were worshiping Him. They were different. Most people who get thrown into prison, they're not singing praises to God. They're not, not showing worship to Him when they're thrown into prison, but Paul and Silas did. They were different. They were different from the rest of the people. Then, of course, the earthquake came and they got their bands loose, meaning they could have easily walked out, but they didn't do that either. And it's interesting to me that they didn't walk out, but there were other prisoners in there with them. And Paul said that none of us walked out. We're all here. 
so the prison keeper wouldn't have to do himself any harm. Now, the custom at this time was the prison keeper, if he would have let loose any of the, the prisoners, if any of them would have escaped, then his life was on the line, and he knew it. So that's why he was going to kill himself. But Paul stopped him and said, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. This difference maker of where Paul and Silas were different from what usual prisoners would do, that's what led the prison keeper to say, what do I got to do to be saved? They were worshiping God in prison, singing praises unto him, and the prison keeper recognized that that's different. And that difference is what led him to be saved. And then it continued on, not just the prison keeper, but then it led on to all of his house. Right there in verse 33, it says, They washed their stripes and were baptized, he and all his straightway. That word straightway means immediately. They did it right then. As soon as they found out what they had to do to be saved, him and all of his house, his family, they obeyed immediately. So this Paul was different, which reminds us that even in times of trouble, when they were praising God, they were being a light to the world that we're called to do today. Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all them that are in his house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven." They were being a light to the world during that dark time. And being that light, it attracted the, the prison keeper who had an honest heart, who was looking for salvation, that he went and talked to Paul and Silas. So with this example, how can you position yourself in your life to be that light to the world? What sets you apart to make you different? That when people are out there and they're looking for the truth, they're looking for the answers through their Savior, Jesus Christ. Why would they come ask you, what do I got to do to be saved? You have to be different. You have to be that light to the world. There's always people out in the world with an honest heart looking for solutions all the time. There's people in your life right now looking for solutions in their life. And we have to find a way that they would approach us. When they do approach us and they ask us why we're different, we always have to be ready to give an answer. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and in fear. Be ready always to give an answer, because you never know when that someone's going to approach you and say, What do I got to do to be saved? Or maybe they approach you and say, Why are you different? Or what sets you apart? Where does this hope come from? You know, I was talking to an elder in a church in Texas when I was putting this lesson together. And what he said really made a lot of sense. What really sets Christians apart from the world is how you respond to death. And if you think about that, that makes a lot of sense. And the reason that we can respond to death in a different way than the world is because we know that this life on earth is just a short experience of what's to come, including the other Christians that we have in our life. How you respond to death matters. Now, I'm not saying that you don't go around and mourn when, people's, when people dies. However, you can have a hope for a better future for that person. And people need to see this hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 through 7, it says, "...to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved for you in heaven, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in that last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations." that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perish, though it be tried with fire, might be found 
unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Even though we face hardships and trials just like the rest of the world does, our hope lies in that there's a better time coming. There's a better future that we receive through Jesus Christ. That's the hope that should be emitting out of your life as you continue on your walk. That's the hope that gives you the light of the world that shines out, is that no matter how bad this life gets, no matter how rough it is, even though we may face harder challenges than, than the world does sometimes, we still have the hope and the light coming from Jesus Christ. As Christians, we believe that our physical life is a short experience of our eternal life. And this life carries us, this hope carries us through challenging times that we can have a positive countenance through the world. You know, if you're continually going out through the world and you're walking through your daily conduct of life and you just kind of have your head down and you're moping all the time and you're sad and, and just everything's beating up against you, why would anybody want to come to you for answers? I mean, really. If you don't have a positive environment, if you don't have a positive countenance, why would someone want to come for you to help? They don't want that. People are not attracted, typically, to sad things or to bad times. People are attracted to positive and loving people. And that positive, positivity and love comes to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from, to show up. So we've looked at three different ways of how to bring the lost to Christ today. The first one is with direct conversations. The second one we looked at is charitable gifts, doing good things to all men. And the third one is your daily life conduct. Now one thing to tie all this up is to realize what do all three of these have in common? How can we truly be effective in doing the work of an evangelist and bringing lost souls to Christ? And it's all summed up into one thing. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 16 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we know, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. What all of these have in common... If you really want to be effective at bringing lost souls to Christ, show the love of God to that person. Because God loved us first. You know, sometimes when I'm around the table and I'm, I'm in charge of the table, I commonly bring that up, that it makes no sense of why God would send His Son, His Son from heaven to come to earth as a man and die for us as sinners. Makes absolutely no logical sense. But you know, sometimes love doesn't make logical sense. It's just love. God did it because He loved us. And since He loved us so much, if we want to be known of God, then it is our calling to be loving to the world. Go out and show love to them with the hope that we can bring lost souls to Christ. That's our mission as Christian, is bring lost souls to Christ. So I hope this lesson has been effective in teaching you how you can continue on and do the work of an evangelist. 
I hope it's very practical and things that you can apply to your life and that you will always look for the love of Christ and how that can motivate you to take action to those around you. You know, someone at some point in your life shared the love of Christ with you. At some point, you didn't deserve it. You weren't ready for it. You had no idea that the love of Christ was coming into your life at that point, but it did. And luckily, at that point, you were willing to receive it. Now it's our turn to go share that love of Christ with other people. Go pay it forward. Go help out those that are in your life and share that gift with others. It's a free gift to the world, but people have to accept it. And they only know to accept it if you share it with them. If there's people in your life that you know you need to share the love of Christ with and preach the gospel to, then do so. Don't wait. And if you need help, we have brethren here that can help you. If you want to set up Bible studies, we can help you show what that gospel is. We can show it to you. We can show it to whoever that person is in your life. We always come from a place of non-judgment, non-offense. We're just there to help these people out. And if they're ready and willing and able to partake of the gospel, then they will do so. Maybe yourself. Maybe you haven't partaken of the gospel. Hopefully from this lesson you have seen that the love of Christ is there for you too. It's for the whole world. You don't deserve it. Neither did I when I got it. But now as a child of God... I have received it, and so can you. You can receive the love of Christ. All you have to do is open your arms and your heart to receive it. And we can show you those steps more perfectly. If you haven't received the love of Christ, you haven't obeyed Him through baptism, as we've talked about, then I encourage you to do so before it's too late. Do it today. There's no better time. There is no more convenient time to obey God. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.